Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Core 4 Podcast, and happy opening day. As this podcast goes live, it'll be the morning of the home opener for the Memphis Grizzlies as they take on the San Antonio Spurs. So make sure you tune in at 7 o'clock Central Time, wherever you find Grizzly games, whether that's by Fox Sports Southeast or Illegal Streaming or wherever. And so make sure you are liking, subscribing, downloading, whatever you need to do for the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. There you can find episodes of the Core 4 Podcast, the Starty 5 Podcast, the 3ND Podcast, and last but not least, GBB Live. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than Big Nate Chester. Nate, what's going on? Merry Christmas, Parker. Merry Christmas to all. And I am super psyched to be recording this because, frankly, I am tired of talking about a hypothetical coming season. I want to talk about an active season. That's what we're going to be doing here today. Absolutely. Um, And as we're recording this podcast, it is also, as proclaimed by the NBA, it's Jersey Day. I'm wearing my John Morant Vancouver jersey. Meanwhile, Nate, I'm wearing a fraternity T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I'm working from home, and you're in the office. I don't think you can necessarily wear a jersey in the office. But I mean, you're the youth there, pastor. You're no, to call the shots. Yeah, there's no excuses to be made, Parker. Um, I am a pastor here, and like I do have certain leeway for special days such as this. And to put it bluntly, I dropped the ball, and I got to own that. It's all good. And there's a, there's some way that you could pick the ball back up, and that's with a good podcast. And so today we are going to be each giving a player that we're personally watching for this season, as well as a bold prediction for the Memphis Grizzlies this season. And we'll kick it off with Big Nate. Nate, who is your player to watch for this season? It's got to be Justice Winslow for me. Now, um, if you read my season preview on Winslow from last week, I probably had the funniest lead, in my opinion, to an article that I've ever had because I compared Justice Winslow to the Apollo 11 moon landing, to the moon conspiracies, to be specific, because there are a lot of people out there, and I'm not one of these people, but there are a lot of people that don't think the moon landing happened because um, what do pictures say? You know, pictures can mean anything. You can edit pictures. And I don't know about y'all, but I have not seen Justice Winslow play in a Memphis Grizzlies uniform. I've seen him in roster photos. I've seen him in carefully curated social media videos in practice. But I'm not sure that Justice Winslow is a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. And I'm looking forward to seeing that evidence this year. I'm looking forward to seeing what Justice Winslow will be for the Memphis Grizzlies because there's a lot of questions to be answered. Will he even be in the starting lineup once he returns in the first week or two to start the season? Um, And if he does, 
how will he fit next to John Morant, Tyus Jones? In his career season for the Miami Heat, he played most of his time at point guard because of an injury to Goran Dragic, and he was able to have success when the ball was in, was in his hands more often than not. That will not be the case for the Memphis Grizzlies when he is playing for the Grizzlies. So will he be able to coexist? Will he be able to play off the ball and to be able to continue the trend of good shooting that he showed. He shot 38% from three on over three attempts a game two years ago for the Miami Heat. He experienced a lot of regression last year because he was playing through an injury in the 11 games that he played. Can he return to the form that he was at two years ago? If he does, and he's averaging like 12 points, five rebounds, and five assists, he elevates the Memphis Grizzlies, their wing depth, to an entirely new tier. But if he doesn't, and he deals with nagging injuries throughout the entire year, there's a very real possibility the Grizzlies will not pick up his team option going into the 2021-2022 season. He is probably the most intriguing player on the roster going into this year. Absolutely, for sure. And everyone is really going to be watching him. If if you're taking out like John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr., Winslow arguably is the most polarizing and intriguing player for the Grizzlies just because there's still this unknown factor when it comes to him, as you've alluded to. It's still unsure if he's even a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. Obviously, we're kidding when we're saying that, but he still hasn't stepped on the floor yet. And we've dove into GBB so many times about what he brings to the Grizzlies as a positionless playmaker and defender. And in his healthy seasons with Miami, he shot north of 37% from three. And anybody shooting above a league average from three is welcomed on the Memphis Grizzlies, especially in this pace and space system. And you brought up a good question is, will he even start? And that's what Sports 56 Anthony Sane said on last week's core fours. He thinks that Justice Winslow should come off the bench to give the, to allow him to have the ball in his hands more. Granted, Having taking the ball out of Tyus Jones's hands isn't the best thing for the bench, given that he's one of the most productive floor generals in second units throughout the league. But his outside shooting and his catch and shoot three point percentage, you're okay with that. And with and with Winslow, he'll be able to create opportunities for himself and others, and play off of Tyus Jones and presumably like Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton. Kyle Anderson, Brandon Clark, however they plan to do the bench in the in the starting lineup. But I'm very intrigued because when he does come back, how is he going to look health-wise? And like you alluded to with that team option, does that serve as extra motivation? Because if he looks broken and they drop that team option, I don't know what he would command in the open market because there is that intrigue with him because he'll be 25 going into the offseason next season. But – that nobody knows what his slate with health looks like and uh, the three-point shooting, even though he has those percentages, still a large question because we've had these – he's had these mirages where it's like, okay, he shoots 37 38%, but in his injury-riddled seasons, he's shooting below 30. Or even in, actually technically in the 29 games he played in his injury-riddled 2016-17 season – and 2019-20 season, he shot under 25%. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. And I will raise you this question is, 
if Kyle Anderson keeps up his level of play from preseason and is actually, you know, a good three-point shooter at a decent volume, is he better than Winslow? And should he stick in the starting lineup at the three? I mean, there's a case to be made right now, and I don't think I buy this because Winslow was very good two years ago in the role that he had, but there is a very legitimate case to be made that this current iteration of Kyle Anderson, especially if his shooting carries over from the Orlando bubble and what he's shown in preseason, that this version of Kyle Anderson is better than Justice Winslow has ever been. And that adds a little bit of flexibility for how the Grizzlies can approach their lineups going into this year. And what makes Winslow so intriguing is that I don't think there's a single player in the NBA in which there's more variance for how their season could go. Uh, If you want to talk about Kevin Durant or someone that he could get hurt again, sure. But as far as um, a a steady level of play, we really don't know what to expect from Justice Winslow. We've never seen him in a Grizzlies uniform in the 10 months that he's been in Memphis. But there's no one else on the roster who can play four positions. There's no one else who can do that. And if he is what he's billed to be, if he was what he was in Miami two years ago, then like I said, he elevates the Grizzlies in a way that really no one else on this roster can because he provides something that the Grizzlies as a franchise, not just with this group, but have never really had in the 20 years they've had in Memphis, a two-way playmaker on both sides of the ball who embodies positionless basketball, your favorite buzzword right there. Boom. And with all of that in mind, there's still a chance that he may be broken. And we don't like to acknowledge that, and especially consider the Grizzlies' injury history on the wing. That's not something great to think about. But there's a chance he gets out there, and for whatever reason, his body is just not where it needs to be. And going beyond just injuries, if you don't play in a professional basketball game, and I think it's been about 15 months for him, 16 months, something along those lines. Um, That takes a toll on you physically to be out of the game of basketball for that long. Now, someone like John Wall, who's missed nearly two years, he seems to be bucking that trend, and that's great. But we don't know, even if he's fully healthy, that Winslow was the player – is the player that he was in Miami two years ago. There's so much uncertainty, and that creates this level of variance that you don't really see among any other rotation players in the NBA for him. Absolutely, for sure. And I'm also looking at it this way when you say that, that variance and like what he adds to the Grizzlies. Granted, that low variance is he's broken, and he can't really bounce back both from getting into game shape and – just haven't played basketball in a year. But I'm looking at his game log right now, and when Jimmy Butler was not in the lineup, he showcased how valuable he can be. I mean, in that Grizzlies opener last season, he gave John Morant the absolute he bullied him. worst welcoming to the NBA, yeah. put up 27.7 rebounds, seven assists. And then the very next game, his shot wasn't on, but he also added 13 rebounds, seven assists. And then in the next game, it was 20 points eight rebounds six assists and then later on like when he got back returned from injury his first time out he played off the bench when they had Jimmy Butler back and he put up 17 9 and 4 so like you said he has that variance it's almost like factor in like 70 percent of the injury injury severity of Chandler Parsons and the variance of Jeff Green 
And that's probably what you get. Sorry, Joe, you probably hate listening to that, but that's the best way to put it in Grizzlies terms. And so I'm going to move on to my player to watch for, and it's actually someone that you you did a player preview on, and that's DeAnthony Melton. Mm -hmm. And that's because I I watched some of the preseason and after this new contract, and his three-point shot looks nice and fluid. There's a little more snap on his release, and – he shot about like 38% from three. And just the kind of player you get if DeAnthony Melton is shooting 38% from three, given what he adds as a defender and as a secondary playmaker, I highlighted in uh, the playmaking piece I wrote on Monday that he, he was ninth among reserve guards qualified for the minutes per game leaderboard in assists per game among players with 10 or fewer starts. He averaged about 2.9 assists. So, in theory, if he's shooting 38% from three, averaging like 10 to 12 points a game, two and a half, st- uh, two and a half assists, and like a, a steal and a half a game while still having the plus-minus impact that has caused, as you alluded to in your preview, NBA analytic Twitter almost – confirming him to be a deity, then he's a guy that you can look at and be like, okay, could this guy be a starter next to John Morant? And granted, that gives the Grizzlies a small backcourt. The wingspan kind of masks it a little bit because John Morant has a 6'7 wingspan. Anthony Melton has a 6'8 wingspan. But it can kind of be like a little bit of a longer Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet kind of lineup because of Anthony Melton shooting – 38% from three, that puts him in Marcus Smart territory in, t- in terms of like his status of being a role player. And that's someone who he's been compared to over and over again, not just on our blog, but on a national scale as well. And just at his age and the fact that when factoring in the extensions that went out this week, the Grizzlies were able to get him for $8 million a year with a partial guarantee in year four. I'm just very intrigued because – if that three-point shot's legit and that impact translates over from last season to this season, the Grizzlies could have the biggest bargain in the NBA, if we're being completely honest, aside from rookie contracts. No, I agree for sure. And I mocked the San Antonio Spurs last year when they gave DeJounte Murray a four-year, $64 million deal because I said the Grizzlies had their own version of DeJounte Murray and DeAnthony Melton, and they're going to be able to have him for the same time period at a fraction of the cost. That's what it appeared at the time. And they do have him under contract now, four years, $35 million, nearly half the amount that uh, Murray got from the San Antonio Spurs. And uh, Melton is going into his third season this year. Murray, in his third season in the NBA for the Spurs last year, averaged 10 points, five rebounds, and four assists while being one of the best, if not the best guard defender in the NBA, our second best behind Drew Holiday. I will not disrespect the Southwest Division rival in that way, but um, – I think that's very realistic. I think that's very doable for him going into this year. If he can get up to around 35% shooting from three, and more importantly, he needs to find a comfort level where he's willing to take a higher volume of shots. He only took two and a half threes in 19 minutes per game last year. He needs to at least get that number up to three and a half. In our conversations and arguments with Joe about Jay Crowder, gravity is a very real thing, and shooting accuracy doesn't always breed gravity. And what I mean by that is, 
is a willingness to shoot. Being a volume shooter will force the defense to react to you. So I think there's a very real chance that if Melton becomes a more willing and more comfortable shooting while improving his accuracy, it could make him a viable starter next to John Morant because his gravity will open up driving lanes for John Morant, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, among others. So He's young. He's 22 years old, and he has much more room to grow. And I think some of the fun, all the fun for this year, will be seeing how much, how many steps will he take. And he's going to have to. He's going to have to improve as a shooter and a playmaker because, like I talked about in my piece that came out yesterday, um, NBA teams have a year of film on him now, which they didn't really have going into his first year in Memphis. And that's only going to accentuate his weaknesses. He has got to improve his game, or he may not even be able to have the same level of impact that he had as his first year in Memphis when he had the best plus minus on the team, when he made the team better in every statistical category when he was on the court. Now, we talk a lot about how his shooting and how he needs to improve in that way, but I want to get more specific with it. He needs to improve as a pull-up shooter, as a, as a shooter off the dribble. As a rookie for the Phoenix Suns, he was the worst pull-up shooter in the NBA. He shot 19% on shots off the dribble. Last year, he showcased some improvement, and then he was so bad in the Orlando bubble that the number came crashing back down to the mean. He shot 27% on off the dribble jumpers last year. Um, If he wants to become a better playmaker, especially out of the pick and roll, he needs to force defenses to react to him shooting off the dribble. He has to become more comfortable in doing so, and he has to become simply a better shooter off the dribble. I would like to see him try to get that number into at least the low 30s and the mid-30s. And again, that takes mid-range shots off the dribble and three-pointers off the dribble into consideration. And if he's able to do that, that will impact the way that defenses have to defend him when he's using screen and rolls. And that will improve his ability to make plays out of the pick and roll because um, I don't. We don't like to acknowledge it, but John Moran and Tyus Jones are going to inevitably miss a few games this year, and you'll need DeAnthony Melton to be a primary ball handler for stretches of time. Of course, you got Kyle Anderson, you got Justice Winslow, and other players who can fill that role. But you'll need Melton to do that as well. And I would like to see him take the reins of the offense and be successful in doing so in a way that he simply wasn't in Orlando. He looked totally lost when he had to function as a primary ball handler. So those are very clear areas. His shooting um, in spot-up situations, shooting off the dribble. And if he's able to improve in those areas, it will also affect and improve his playmaking. And then you'll start to see a real tangible improvement for him in year three. For sure. And we're not asking him, as Nate alluded to, we're not asking him to be, you know, Trey Young or Damian Lillard or anything when it comes to pull-up shooting or even like a Bradley Beal or Devin Booker. If he could just take like a, like, let's say like he's off at like a little close to half court on a fast break and he takes two dribbles in and pulls up for a three or he takes a dribble over out of the pick and roll for a three or takes a few dribbles in off a pump faker pick and roll for a mid-range jumper it will add a little bit to the dynamic uh, offense or his dynamic on the offensive end because he can already make good reads and he's a functional playmaker he can get to the rim and he's a good spot up shooter and with the pull-up shot and being able to do all that off and just continue adding to his game off the dribble, it's just only going to enhance everything else. Sure. And it's also going to just enhance the Grizzlies' offense that, reply, that relies on these driving kicks because 
at some point these teams are going to focus in on those driving kicks and they'll play the kick because they'll play Grayson Allen spotting up in the corner. They'll play Desmond Bain spotting up on the wing. They will play Brandon Clark spotting up at the corner. And all of a sudden you're going to have to make a different play, whether that's taking it all the way to the rim or pulling up in the mid range. And if you can add that to your bag and the more players that could do that, because let's be real, the only ones that can really do that are John Morant, Tyus Jones, and Dylan Brooks. Yeah. Kyle Anderson kind of can just because most of the time when he gets in the paint because of his size, but like six nine, seven three wingspan, he can finish just because he's also methodical and patient on finding that shot. But the more guys that can make plays off the bounce as both a playmaker and a shot creator, it's the better. And for DeAnthony Melton, that goes into factoring in whether he's an NBA starter or a glue guy off the bench. And granted, yep. it's the NBA. Those roles are not bad roles. But it could be the difference between him being in the rotation when the playoffs go to seven or eight men or not, basically. Yeah, he's not at risk of falling out of the rotation like, say, Grayson Allen or even Desmond Bain might be, depending on how they perform during the season. He's going to at least be the glue guy. He was last year, but he's the second most athletic guard on the roster behind John Morant. And you already mentioned about how he makes good reads. Just imagine that when defenses are forced to react to him as a pull-up shooter, as someone who can knock down shots off the dribble from beyond the yard – and in the mid-range, it's going to give him more speed, space and leeway to be able to get downhill, which means it'll give him better opportunities to finish at the rim. He shot over 60% at the rim last year, which is well above the league average, especially for a player his size. He is a very good finisher around the basket. If he can get downhill in those situations, he'll have more opportunities and more space to finish at the basket, and he'll also have easier reads to make, which will only help him as a functional playmaker. He's going to get better in those ways this year, and I think we've already seen the fruits of his labor in that way in the preseason so far. For sure. And so we're about to be wrapping up the show. Remember, the premise of this show was four four topics, a little under 30 minutes, hence core four. But So we're going to go on to our bold prediction for the season. And what's better than Mr. Hot Take himself, Nathan Chester, starting it out for us? I'm not going to be negative to start the season, Parker. There's nothing to be negative about. So here is my bold prediction. John Morant makes his first all-star team. He averages 22 points and 10 assists, and he becomes a fringe MVP candidate on a Grizzlies team that will be on the periphery of the playoff race. Nice. I like it. I like the positivity. We need yeah, it. Yeah, it just radiates through me right now. Until, yeah, they, well, until they lose to the Spurs on opening night because Keldon Johnson went off for 25 points. Or – or we'll wait and see uh, what Justice Winslow and Jaron Jackson Jr. look like, for you at least. That's what you'll wait for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if the Grizzlies start off like 5-2, and two, then Jaron Jackson comes back in his first game and scores six points and has five fouls and they lose, I'll probably need to log off Twitter for that. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But, uh, no, uh, my, my bull prediction is – Interesting because it factors more into later into the season. Mine is that the Grizzlies will get a lottery pick regardless, and it will all factor into the play-in. And I'm saying that because I I think the Grizzlies are more than likely a play-in team. I have 
uh, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks, Blazers, and Suns, all as kind of locks for that, the top six seeds. Yes, I put the Suns in there because you saw what Chris Paul did with the less talented Oklahoma City team. He'll do the same with Phoenix, who actually have like a legitimate super superstar player. So I I think it could be factored into ready for it a Jazz Grizzlies playing game. <laughs> oh, I I would um, I would weep tears of joy if that ended up becoming the scenario to see it all the Grizzlies lottery hopes knowing they're going to get a lottery pick one way or the other because of Baguette Bismack Biombo. That feels good. Just let me like get this scene out for you. Just think about this. So the Grizzlies, they walk into a situation where it's either lose and get a lottery pick, or they make the playoffs and still get a lottery pick. <laughs> so that just makes me giddy. <laughs> and then to ice the game, you know, let's say it's like a tie ball game, or like the Jazz are up one. John Morant's at the top of the key. He gets that pick and pop going with Jaron Jackson Jr and just puts Rudy Gobert in a spin cycle in the pick and roll. <laughs> because we saw Rudy Gobert have to try to defend the Murray and Jokic pick and roll, and he just looked defenseless. And John Morant is going to do the exact same thing to Rudy Gobert as he hits a step-back mid-range jumper to yeah, ice, ice a playoff berth for the Grizzlies and to get yeah, a lottery pick for them as well. You know what I'd want to see happen in that situation? I'd want to see, really just in my own head, I want to envision John Morant taking the $205 million the Utah Jazz just gave Rudy Gobert and his extension and setting it on fire as he hits that game-winning shot to send the Grizzlies to the playoffs and the Utah Jazz into the lottery. And then once I'm done watching this glorious spectacle, I'm going to walk outside, walk into the center of my front yard, raise my hands, and I'm going to ascend into heaven. Mm-hmm. That'll be my last podcast and last article for Grizzly Bear Blues. Yep. And so – and that's just going to – it's going to be hysterical <laughs> because the luxury tax stricken Utah Jazz will be without a lottery pick when they desperately need young talent next to Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Meanwhile, the Grizzlies will be an up-and-coming team that just made the playoffs and they'll be adding a late lottery pick. Maybe in that lucky 13 spot that's netted the likes of Kobe Bryant, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, Donovan Mitchell, Tyler Hero. They're going to just continue adding to the trend. And it's just going to be one of those things you love to see. And I will rest easy in the knowledge that not only did Rudy Gobert kill the NBA season and really American society as a whole last year, he will have also killed the Utah Jazz's future. We love to see it. Not really. We don't. We don't <laughs> not really. Not really. We don't love a pandemic. <laughs> not, not the NBA season in American society part. The jazz future part. That's what we love to yeah, see. Yeah, we yeah, hate yeah, to see yeah. the pandemic. It, it, it's nothing personal. We just want a good lottery pick to go along with our own draft picks. And, you know, if another franchise has to splinter in order for that to happen, that's just sometimes you hate to see it. Yeah, you really hate to see it. So that's about all the time we have. Nate, let the people know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24, and you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. For sure, for sure. Make sure you're doing that. Nate is one of the great, many great writers that we have on the Grizzly Bear Blues staff. Make sure you are tuning in to the blog all season long for all wonderful content. I mean, we attack game coverage like none other. We have features out almost 
almost every day, sometimes two features a day. And we also now have a podcast going up and live every day, Monday through Thursday, every week, Monday through Thursday from starting five on Monday, three and D on Tuesday. They just recorded the reunion of Eric Hasseltine and his former producer, Ben Hogan, our very own Ben Hogan. Mm-hmm. So make sure y'all checking out the great work Justin's doing with them and the three and D, uh, the starting five guys are doing with theirs. Catch us every Wednesday on the GBB podcast network and check out Joe and I on the GBB live, usually with a special guest each time. And you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow the blog on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And follow the, the podcast on Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And enjoy the season the opener. If you're What's not on the Grizzly Bear Blues wave, now's the time to get on it. Exactly. And as you're watching tomorrow night, just remember – the Grizzlies paid the same amount for Dylan Brooks and Anthony Melton as the Spurs paid for DeJounte Murray. And they just cut out. So that's all, folks.